A Room with a View by E. M. Foster Chapter 1 The Tell It Lily If Sonora had no business to do it, said Miss Burnett, no business at all. She promised herself rooms with a few close together, instead of which there are both north rooms looking into the churchyard, a long way apart, oh Lucy. And a cockney besides, said Lucy, who had been further saddened by Sonora's unexpected accent. It might be London, she looked at the two rows of English people who had been, were sitting at the table, a row of white bottles and red bottles, a row of white bottles of water, red bottles of wine that ran between the English people and the, and the portraits of the late Queen and late Poet Laureate that hung behind the English people, heavily framed at notice of the English church, Reverend Cooper Edgar, M.A. Otson, was the only other direction decoration of the wall. Charlotte, don't you feel too we might be in London? I can hardly believe it. Believe that all kinds of other things are just outside. Suppose it's one's it is one's being so tired. It's me oh surely being used for soup, said Miss Barnett, lying down uh, laying down her soup folk. I want to see you at the Arno. Rooms that the Signora promised us that in a letter would have looked over the Arnaro. The Signora had no business to, to do it at all. Oh, it's a shame. And when any nook does for me, Miss Barnett continued, but it does seem hard that you shouldn't have a, should have a view, shouldn't have a view. Lucy felt she was being selfish. Charlotte, you mustn't spoil me. Of course you must look over the Arno too. I meant that. First vacant room in the front. You must have it, said Miss Burnett, part of whose travelling expenses were paid by Lucy's mother, a piece of generosity which she made many a tactful illusion. Oh, no, no, you must have it. I insist on it. Your mother would never forgive me, Lucy. She would never, for- she would never forgive me. Ladies' voices grew animated, and if the sad truth be owned, a little peevish. They were tired, and under the guise of unselfishness, they wrangled. Some of their neighbours interchanged glances, and one of them, one of the ill-bred people, whom one does not, one does meet abroad, leapt forward over the table, and actually intruded in an argument. He said, I have a view, I have a view. Miss Bernard was startled. Generally, had a pension, people looked them over for a day or two about, before speaking, and did that not find out that they would do until they had gone. She knew that the intruder was ill-bred, even before she glanced at him. He was an old man of heavy build, with a fair shaven face and large eyes. There's something childish in those eyes. No, it's not the childishness of his sincerity. But exactly it was Miss Barnett did not stop to consider for a glance, glance passed on to his clothes. Those did not attract her. He was probably trying to become acquainted with them before they got into the swim. So she assumed a dazed expression when he spoke to her, and then he said, A view, a view, how delightful a view is. It's my son, said the old man. His name's George. He is a view too. Oh, said Miss Bonnet, repressing Lucy, about to speak. What do I mean? He's con- what I mean, he continued. It is that you can have your room, our rooms, or have yours. It'll change. A better class of tourists was shocked at this and sympathised with newcomers. Miss Bonnet, in reply, opened her mouth 
as little as possible, and said, Thank you very much. Indeed, and that is out of question. Why, said the old man, with both feet on the table, fists on the table. Well, it's quite out of the question, thank you. You see, we don't like to take, began Lucy, a cousin again with Pester. But why, he persisted, very like looking, have you? Men don't. He felt with his fists like a naughty child, turned his son, saying, George, persuade him. So obvious. He should have the rooms, said the son. There's nothing else to say. He did not look at the ladies as he spoke. But his voice was perplexed and sorrowful. Lucy too was perplexed. But she saw that he were in for what is now known as quite a scene. And not a feeling that whether these your graduate toys spoke, the contest widened and deepened, so it dealt not with rooms and views, but with it, well, it's something quite different from his existence she had not realised before. The old man attacked Miss Barnett almost violently. Why should he not change? What possible objection had she? They could would clear out in half an hour. Miss Barnett, though skilled and those skilled in delicacies of conservation, conservation was powerless in the presence of brutality. It was impossible to snub any one so gross. Her face reddened with displeasure. She looked around as much to say, Are you all like this? The two little old ladies were sitting further up the table, with shawls hanging over the backs of the tables, chairs. The back, shawls hanging off the, over the back of the chairs, looked back clearly, indicating, We're not, we are gentle, genteel. Eat your dinner, dear, she said to Lucy, and began to toy again with the meat she had at once censored. Lucy mumbled, that there seemed very odd people opposite. Eat your dinner, dear. Your pension is a failure. Tomorrow we'll make a change. Hardly had she announced this failed decision when she reversed it. The curtains at the end of the room parted, revealed a clergyman, stout but attractive, who hurried forward to take his place at the table, cheerfully apologising for lateness. His lateness, Lucy, had not yet acquired decency, and once rose to her feet, exclaiming, Oh, oh, why, it's Mr. Beedy. Oh, how one, perfectly wonderfully. Oh, Charlotte, we must stop now, whatever bad rooms are. Oh, Miss Burnett said, with more restraint. How do you do, Mr. Beanie? I expect you been have forgotten us, Miss Burnett and Miss Honeychurch, who were at Tunbridge Wells when you helped the vicar at St. Peter's that very cold Easter. The large man had an air one on a holiday. Do not remember ladies quite as clearly as they remembered him. He came forward pleasantly enough and sat in a chair in which he was beckoned by Lucy. I am so glad to see you, said the girl, who was in a state of spiritual starvation. I would have been glad to see the weight of it if her chosen had permitted it. Just fancy how small the world is. Summer Street, too, makes it to it so, so especially funny. Miss Church, Honey Church, lives in a parish. Summer Street, said Miss Bonnet, filling up the gap. She happened to tell me in the course of conversation. Are you just accepted the living? Yes, I heard from my mother. So last week, she didn't know, didn't know that I knew you at Tunbridge Wells. But I went back at once, and I said, Mrs. Beebe, Mr. Beebe is quite right, said the clergyman. I move into Rectory Summer Street next June. I'm lucky to be appointed to such a charming neighbourhood. Oh, how glad I am. The name of our house is Windy Corner. Mr. Beebe bowed. Here is a mother and me, generally, and my brother, though it's not often you get him to church, is rather far off, I mean. 
Lucy, dearest, let me this be the eating dinner. I'm eating it, thank you, and enjoying it. Further to talk to Lucy, who well, was playing, he remembered, rather than to Miss Burnett, who probably remembered his sermons. He asked the girl whether he knew, she knew Florence well, and she informed at some length that she had never been there before. It was delightful to advise a newcomer, and he was the first in the field. Don't neglect the country round, his voice concluded. First fine afternoon, drive up to Frisk, Newstow, and round by Sanigrego, or something of the sort. No, cried a voice at the top of the table. Mr. Beanie, you're wrong. First time in the afternoon, ladies must go to Prorato. A lady looks so clear, clever, whispered Mrs. Burnett to her cousin. You were in luck. Indeed, a perfect torment of information burst on him. People told him what to see, when to see it, how to stop the electric trams, how to get rid of the beggars, how to give... How much to give for a Verlinian blotter, how much the place would grow upon him, Pension Bernardini had decided, almost exactly, they would do whatever way they looked. Whichever way they looked, kindly smiled and shouted at them. Above all rose the voice of a clever ladies crying, Prato, you must go to Prato. And that place is too sweetly squalid for the world. Words, I love it. A revealing shaking off the tremors of respectability, as you know. Young man named George glanced at the clever woman. Lady, then returned smoothly to his plate. Obviously, he and his father did not outdo. Lucy, in the midst of her success, found him, found time to wish they did. Gave her an extra, no extra pleasure. Any one should be left out in the cold. When she rose to go, she turned her back and gave the two outsiders a nervous little bow. bow. And father did not see it. The son acknowledged it, but not by another bow, but by raising his eyebrows, smiling, seeing to be smiling across, across something. She hastened after her cousin, who had just had already disappeared from the curtains, curtains which smote one in the face and seemed heavy with its fists, mourning cloth. Beyond them stood the unreliable Sonora, bowing good evening to her guests, and saw me by Henry, my little boy, and Victoria, her daughter. It made a curious little scene, this attempt to co- the Cockney to convey the grace, gentility of the South. Even more curious, it was the dining room, was attempted to rival the solid comfort Bloomsbury boarding house. Was this really Italy? Miss Burnett was already seated on a tightly stuffed armchair, which was coloured contours of tomato. She was talking to Mr. Beebe. As she spoke, her long, narrow head drove backwards and forwards, slowly relegating as though she was munching some invisible hospitable. We're most grateful to you, she was saying. First evening means so much. When you arrived, we were in for a particular mencoris quartenduria. His expression expressed his regret. Do you, by any chance, know the name of an old man sat opposite us at dinner? Emerson. Is he a friend of yours? If you're friendly, he's one is in pensions. And I was saying no more. She pressed her very slightly and she said more. I, as I were, she concluded, a chaperone of my young cousin Lucy. It would be a serious thing for her to put her under an obligation of people whom we know nothing. His manner was somewhat unfortunate. I hope I acted for the best. You acted very naturally, said he. 
You seem thoughtful enough if you meant it. All the same, I don't think much harm would have come of accepting. No harm, of course, but we could not be under an obligation. He's rather a peculiar man, again, he hesitated. Then said gently, well, I think he would not take advantage of acceptance, nor expect you to give gratitude, to show gratitude. He was a, he has the merit, if one it is one, of saying exactly what he means. He has a rooms he does not value. He thinks you would value them. He had no more, he had no more thought of putting you under an obligation. He thought of being polite. It is difficult, at least. I find it difficult to understand people who speak the truth. Lucy was pleased and said, I was hoping that he was nice. I always hope that the people will be nice. I think he's nice and tiresome. I differ for him at almost every point of any importance, and so I expect I might say, I hope you will differ. But this is a type of one. This He is type one degrees with disagrees with rather than deplores. When he first came here, he not unnaturally put people back up. He had no tact and no manners. I don't mean by that he has bad manners. He will not keep his companion to himself. He nearly complained about him to a depressing Senora. I'm glad to say we thought better of it. Am I to conclude that said Miss Bonnet, he's a socialist, Miss Beebe? Beebe accepted a convenient word, not without a single twitching of the lips. And presumably he brought up by son to be a socialist too. Hardly know, George, for he hasn't learnt to talk yet. You see, he's a nice creature. I think he has brains. Of course, he has all his father mannerisms. It's quite possible, too, he may be a socialite. Socialist. Okay, you believe me. Said Miss Burnett. So you think I ought to be set their offer? You feel I have been narrow-minded and suspicious? No, no, he answered. I never suggested that. But I ought to not, not to apologise at all the events of my apparent rudeness. He replied with some irritation. It would be quite necessary to get, and got up unnecessary, got up for his seat to go to the smoking room. Was I bored, said Miss Bonnet, as soon as he had disappeared. Why don't you talk, Lucy? Why don't you talk, Lucy? He refers young people. I'm sure I do hope I haven't monopolised him. I hope you would have him all the evening as well as all dinner time. He's nice, exclaimed Lucy. Just what I remember. He seems to have seen good in everyone. No one would take him for a ter- clergyman. My dear Lucinda, Lucinda. Well, you know what I mean. You know how clergymen generally laugh. Mr. Beebe laughs just like an ordinary man. Funny girl. How you do, mind me, your mother? I wonder if you prove, Mr. Beebe. I am sure she will, and so will Freddy. I think everyone at Windy Corner will prove. It's a fashionable world. I am used to Tunbridge Wells, where we all help us behind the times. Yes, said Lucy defensively. There's a haze of approval in the air, disapproval in the air. But whether the disapproval was of herself, or Mr. Beebe, or fashionable world at Wimbley, Windy Corner, or the narrow world at Tunbridge Wells, she could not undetermine. She tried to locate it, but as usual she blundered. Miss Burnett seducedly denied its approving anyone and added, I'm afraid you're finding me a very pressing companion. The girl again thought, I thought, I must have been selfish or unkind. I must have been careful. It's so dreadful for Charlotte being poor. Fortunately, one of the little girl, little old girls, who for some time had been smiling very bitterly, 
They approached and he asked if he might be allowed to sit where Mr. Beebe had sat. Vision granted, began to chatter gently about Italy. A plunge had been to come here, a gratifying success of that on the plunge, an improvement of the sister's health, and necessary closing the bedroom windows at night, and then the family emptying the water bottles in the morning. She ended her subjects agreeably, and they were perhaps more worthy of attention. Then a high disclosure went upon Gilf's of Ghibellines, which was proceeding temporarily at the other end of the room, is real catastrophe. Not a mere splits episode that evening of hers at Venice, when she found in her bedroom something that is one, wor- one worse than a flea, uh, one better than something else. But here you are, safe as in England. Gino Bonetti is so English. Yet you saw small, your room smell said poor Lucy. We're dreaded going to bed. Ah, then you look into the court, she sighed. If only Mr. Emerson was more tactful. We were so sorry for you at dinner. I think you've been meaning to be kind. Unfortunately, he was, he was said Miss Burnett. Mr. Beebe has been scolding me for my spitious nature. Of course, I was holding back on my co- cousin's account. Of course, said the little old lady. lady. They murmured that one could not be too careful with a young girl. Lucy tried to look demure, but could not help feeling a little, a great, feeling a great fall. No one was careful with her at home, or at all events, she did not notice it. About Mr. Emerson, I hardly know that he is not tactful yet. Have you noticed that there are people who do things which are most indelicate, and yet at the same time beautiful? Beautiful, Miss Burnett? Puzzled the word. Are you not beauty and delicacy the same? No one would have thought, said the other helplessly, that things are not so different, I sometimes think. If you need to know further into things, uh, Mr. B reappeared, looking exactly, looking extremely pleasant. Mrs. Bunnett, he glided. It's all right about the rooms. I'm so glad, Mr. Emerson, talking about it in the smoking room. And knowing what I did, I encouraged him to make the offer again. And he has left me, left me come and ask you, has let me come and ask you, he will be so pleased, my Charlotte, cried Lucy, my cousin, you must have the rooms now, the army is just as nice and kind as he can be, but when it was silent, I fear, said Miss Binney, Mr. Binney, on a pause, I have been officious, I must apologise for my interference, gravely displeased, he turned to go, but not till then, did Miss Burnett reply, My own wishes, dearest Lucy, are unimportant in comparison with yours. It would be hard, indeed, if I stopped you doing as you liked at Florence, when I am really only here through your kindness. If you wished me to turn these gentlemen out of their room, I would do, do it. Would you then, Mr. B. Kai, tell Miss Emerson, accept his kind offer, and then conduct him to me in order that I may thank him personally? She raised her voice as she spoke. It was heard all over the drawing room. Silence the Gofries and the Gilbertellis. The coachman in really cursing. Vima sex bowed and parted with her message. Remember, Lucy, I'm alone and implicated in this. I do not wish the acceptance to come from you. Grant me that all at all events. Mr. B was back saying rather nervous rather nervously, Mr. Emerson is engaged. But here he is his son instead. Young men gazed for down on the three ladies who felt felt seated on the floor, so low were their chairs. My father, he said, 
Is this your bath? So you cannot thank him personally. But any message given to you, to me, will be given to me, by me to him. As soon as he comes out, Miss Burnett was unequal to the bath. All her spurred civilities came forth wrong end first. Young William Stemerson scored and overtried to delight in Mr. Bilby, to the secret delight of Lucy. Poor young man, said Miss Burnett, as soon as he had gone. How angry he is with his father about the rooms. If only he could, could do it, do, do. All we can do is to keep polite. Half an hour or so your rooms will be ready, said Mr. Beebe. Then looking at Arthur thoughtfully, two cousins each retired his own rooms to write up his sonnet-fific diary. Oh dear, breathed the old lady, and shouted at all the winds of heaven, and entered the apartment. Gentlemen, sometimes I do not realise a voice faded away, but Miss Burnett seemed to understand the conversation from Levitt. Mr. Gentleman did not thoroughly realise played a principal part. Lucy was realising that if this was used to literature, taking up by Turkey's handbook of Noble Italy, committing to memory the most important dates of Florentine history, but she was determined to enjoy herself. On the morrow, thus the half hour crept perfectly away, and Miss Burnett rose with a sigh and, and said, I, might, I think one might adventure now. No, Lucy, do not stir. I will superintend that move. How do you do? How do you do everything? How do you do everything? Said Lucy. No, she dear, it's my affair. But I would like to help you, no, dear. Charlotte's energy and her mind are so unfelfless. She had been thus all her life. But really, on this Italian tour, she was parting herself. Lucy felt or strove to feel, and yet there was a rebellious spirit in her, which wondered whether acceptance might not have been less delicate and more beautiful. At all events, she entered her own room without any feeling of joy. I want to explain, said Miss Burnett, why it is that I have taken the largest room naturally, of course. I should have given it to you. I happen to know that it belongs to a young man. I'm sure your mother would not like it. Lucy's bewildered. If you are to accept a favour, more suitable you should be under obligation to your father than to him. I am the woman of the world, it's way I know but where things lead to I know where things lead to. Her Mr B is a guarantee sort you'll not presume on it on this. Mother wouldn't mind I'm sure, said Lucy. But again had a sense of larger aspected issues. Miss Burnett only sighed and enveloped her in a protecting embrace as she wished her good night. It gave Lucy a sensation of a fog, and when she reached her own room, she opened the window and breathed a very clean night air, thinking of the kind of man that enabled her to see the lights dancing, the arado, and the surpasses of the St. Enrando, and the foothills of the Pennines, back against the rising moon. Ruth Burnett, in her own room, faced the door shutters, locked the door, and then made a tour the apartment to see where the cupboards led, whether there was any sublets, secret entrances. It was then that she saw pinched up over the west stand a sheet of paper which was scrawled an enormous note of interrogation. Nothing more. What does it mean? She thought. She examined it carefully by the light of a candle. Meanness, meanness. At first, it gradually came menacing, ominous, preposterous, with evil. He seized with an impulse to destroy it. But 
fortunately, remember that she had no right to do so, since it not, must be the property of young Mr. Emerson. She had unpinned it carefully and put it between two pieces of blotting paper to keep it clean for him. Then she completed the confection of her room, the room, cried heavily, calling into a habit, and went to bed. This is... Chapter 1 from A Room with a View by E. M. Foster Available on Project Gutenberg ebook.